0: Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC, from breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look. The Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's
1: begin. We talk a lot about the commute home and what happened on Tuesday, the afternoon when that snowstorm hit and hit strong. But at the same time, some of the unhoused on the downtown east side were being moved out of their tents. The city of Vancouver did move in, not entirely unexpected, except perhaps for the timing it happening on a day when the snowstorm was coming in. Those without homes removed from their tents along Hastings, and some people are still wondering if that was the best decision, especially right at that time. Well, to talk about this is Dave Ham. He's executive board director at VANDU, the Vancouver area network of drug users. Good morning, Dave. Nice to have you on.
2: Hi, Bruce. Yeah, I just, I'm on the board of directors. I'm just one of the members, though. I'm not uh, the, the executive director. It's uh, part of our staff that we've hired.
1: That's right. But uh, as a board member, boy, you still have a pretty big concern about this, don't you?
2: Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um the thing is that these people aren't, we call them the tent house. They are housed. And uh, actually, by taking away that housing, the, uh, they've gone against the uh, U.N. accord about how, you know, people are supposed to be put in some place if this is going to happen. And they had nothing available for them that was adequate.
1: Now, Dave, uh, we knew that this was going to be happening, didn't we? And it was more about the timing, I think, that caught many of us by surprise. Uh, We had uh, the city of Vancouver moving in, police by their side, not a police action, but the city of Vancouver definitely coming in and taking away tents, um, dismantling some of those tents. What impact was there that really has you concerned?
2: Well, that they were uh, more or less banished. There was no place for them to really go except back on the street, but now without any uh, kind of sheltering materials. So uh, we tried to do what we could in in supplying them with whatever tents and sleeping bags and stuff that we could round up. But the idea of of doing it on on the day when there's snow coming down, everything like that, I, I feel that they could have maybe put that action on hold at least, and, uh, you know, made sure that there was something for sure implemented uh, for, their, uh, for their safety. Because actually, you know what I mean? It's like this weather, inclement weather, people's lives are actually at risk, like seriously at risk.
1: You know, Dave, uh, somebody might uh, be inclined to say, well, there was a forecast out there and uh, we did know the reality of what was being said. There were safety concerns with those tents. Um, Did uh, the people that advocate for those living in the tents not know that this could be a possibility? Why is it uh, that the city of Vancouver is to blame? Well,
2: ultimately, it's not the city of Vancouver to blame. It's the, uh, the uh, government infrastructure, uh, federal, uh, provincial, and municipalities in not providing the housing. They've had years and years, and they've uh, slowly but surely let the housing stock deplete and become unlivable, most of it, uh, that people are put into. And so, you know, it's not the city's fault. They've walked, in, like the new mayor and that, they've walked into a situation where I believe that they uh They wanted to do something. They could be uh, politically brave, step up and do something uh, out of the um, party line and and actually think about human rights and uh, just being being charitable and and understanding that these people are housed. They're housed themselves because they had no choice. When you're in a tent out there, you have your home. It is your home. And uh, to be treated this way goes against all the human rights uh, accords that have been done in the U.N., uh, that Canada signed on to, and actually was part of making, and and that. So, I I just feel that uh, no matter what, doing it at that time, whether it was known, not known, the timing was not very well
1: uh, thought of. And many people pointed that out uh Dave we're talking about two situations of course one being the short term and also the long term let's talk about the short term first the people that uh did end up without a tent that night Tuesday night how did they end up surviving uh did you find uh a placement or a new tent or a new uh area for them to sleep uh what did what ended up being the reality for them Well the
2: reality was we were there Uh, I I got phone numbers. They had phone numbers. We uh, supplied what we had at the time, uh, which wasn't a lot. We've been uh, getting donations coming in uh, quite a a bit now. But uh, I was going to have Will with me to speak uh, on things, and I cannot find him. I cannot get a hold of him on the phone. Uh, I was told that they went uh, together, a group of them. And so I'm hoping that, uh, you know, out there there's a community already established amongst themselves. So I'm hoping that they got uh, taken in with some of the other folks out there that are also uh tent housing right now
1: right we've got uh, conditions that are going down to minus nine at night that's going to happen again and more snow coming in in the forecast certainly it's going to hit the downtown east side and those living uh along hastings uh what do you anticipate tonight
2: well uh, i'm heading out as soon as we finish this call and uh, i'm going to be out Uh, trying to track them down physically and find out uh, where they're at, what their needs are. And uh, we have had a a, a pouring of of, of donations and things like that. So we're going to try and set them up the best way we can. Um, And they've been told not to go back to Hastings uh, and that. So you know we're going to have to try and figure out a place where they will not be continually moved along. We thought we had the street sweep sort of uh, on hold definitely doesn't look that way anymore. It looks like they are just going to keep doing things with a bylaw, which does not supersede the Charter of Rights or the UN Charter or anything like that. All of those things are in place because human rights are being squashed and stepped on all the time, not just here, all over the world. I looked at the UN Accord and the, and the, the thing that came out in 2020. It's amazing how much is going on everywhere. Like This is just one little spot where this is happening, but imagine how all over the world this is happening everywhere and it's a human rights issue. It needs to be addressed, and as Canadians, I feel we need to step up and, and be the humanitarian nation and country that we purport, purport to be. Then we have to start doing that at home and, and look after our own.
1: What can we do, Dave, Um from your perspective, I, I mean, we, we've we seen the amount of money that's being spent on uh, the downtown east side in providing services, and still we have this uh, terrible situation with people who do not have permanent housing. Uh, what is it that, uh, what message is not getting through? Um,
2: I don't know. I, I believe that these band aid situations of, of putting uh, X amount of dollars, uh, you know, over the period of time could have well been well spent much better on actually making, uh, you know, some actual permanent housing that was adequate for people. Um, the city of Vancouver has a page up that says that they, they pat themselves on the back and be able to put up modular housing within 90 days. Well, since we've been trying to doing a program at Bandu, helping out on the street there, there's been uh, over 180 days. There could have been twice the amount of time to put into modular housing somewhere. And a lot of the modular housing now is outdated, they were only in there for a certain amount of time. So when that time period comes up of the lease, uh, what is going to happen to those people? Are they going to be put out in the street too? It's just a very deplorable situation. SOR fires are going rampant down here. Those people are being displaced. It's uh, it's a real mess, and uh, you know, some political bravery needs to be done. People need to understand that. In the U.N. Accord, monies that are allocated for certain things need to be put into this situation first. That needs to be done first. And uh, I believe that's the, uh, the way forward with the politicians is to look at this as the emergency it is and allocate those funds to directly to make some adequate housing.
1: Dave, thank you very much for your time and your advocacy for those uh, living without permanent housing and living uh, with those tents uh, on the downtown east side. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Bruce. And it is Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith. You know, it's uh, the official title of this is the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act, and it's being described as many by many as undemocratic, worrisome, and a risk. Many people are concerned it's a rewriting of the Canadian Constitution, Alberta style. And it's all because Alberta Premier Daniel Smith sees a risk and sees the opportunity for a bit of a change here. Well, Dwayne Bratt is a political scientist and a columnist, but political scientist at Mount Royal University and joins us now. Good morning, Dwayne. Good morning. This is uh, something that I think uh, I would never have seen. I I know what the sentiment is like in Alberta at times, seen that over the years. But to actually see something come out like this, a bit of a surprise. Uh, What's your take on it?
3: So this was... Uh, when Daniel Smith ran for the UCP leadership over the summer, this was the centerpiece of her campaign this this idea of the sovereignty act um, and uh, she she won uh, but as a result of winning, and then you know you 've got to go from winning forty to fifty thousand uCP members to now dealing with You know, four and a half million Albertans, there were questions about whether she would soften the language, weaken the language, particularly because there were four of her leadership rivals who held a. Uh, An unprecedented press conference in September bashing the Sovereignty Act, saying that it was unconstitutional, would violate the rule of law, would lead to investor chill, uh, possibly capital flight. Well, three of those four rivals are now in senior portfolios in her cabinet. So you wonder what sort of deals were struck when they brought it in. So um, when I did preview interviews on Tuesday, it was like, well – Option one is that it will simply do what Saskatchewan did, which is reaffirm uh, what's already in the Constitution and, and just say, you know, we assert that we have provincial jurisdiction over health, or we have provincial jurisdiction over natural resources, or we have provincial jurisdiction over private property, or what have you. There might have been a lot of fiery rhetoric to that, uh, but that really would have been nothing big. Um, That was option one. Option two is that um, she would have brought in what she promised, which was the nullification of federal laws, depending on what the provincial legislature in Alberta thought about the constitutionality of it, as opposed to the normal way that we do constitutional disputes between the feds and the provinces, which is going through the court system. What I didn't anticipate is she actually chose option three, which was... Option two, with a, a twist. Option two, she does say that the Alberta government will be the arbiter, will decide on whether there has been provincial, or federal encroachment into provincial jurisdiction, but then it added, or any policy that harms Albertans. So even if it is federal jurisdiction, but the Alberta government determines that it harms Albertans, no matter how they define that, they're going to rule that unconstitutional. That is huge overreach and is very problematic.
1: Huge overreach. And also when it comes to, I'm thinking of like first ministers meetings, uh, which are already difficult. And sometimes uh, some of the difficulty might even come from Quebec, which uh, has its own views on uh, sovereignty. But um, when you start to have... uh, if you have an Alberta in here also pushing for this, are we ever going to get consensus when uh, the premiers or even uh, cabinet ministers from uh, the provinces get together and go uh, cap in hand to the federal government?
3: Oh, absolutely. And this is this is a problem that was identified right when she was introducing it in the summer by both Christy Clark, the former premier of BC. Um, and uh, now former Premier Jason Kenney uh, Kenney called it uh, bananas and said it would uh, uh, make Alberta the laughingstock of, of Canada uh, I don't know how if this passes in its uh, f- current form how the federal government could, could allow this and whether the courts would strike this down because if you allow provinces to pick and choose which federal laws they're going to follow including the criminal code of Canada you've got a real you don't really have a country anymore and if if uh alberta starts to do this why wouldn't bc do this and why wouldn't quebec do this and why wouldn't uh new brunswick uh do this so yes um th- this is this is quite worrisome but it it's the additional features that uh are similarly worrisome. And this I didn't anticipate, which is uh, the eroding of democracy in Alberta. Because under this bill... The cabinet would have the ability of amending legislation to confront Ottawa without going through the legislature, so without going through you know, first reading, second reading, third reading, without the debate, without um, the amendments that go with how a bill becomes law or amending a bill, they are going to delegate that power strictly to the cabinet. That doesn't occur anywhere in this country, and nor should it.
1: It almost sounds like this is an extreme solution in search of a problem. So what was the problem that you identified that need to be cured by this move?
3: So the the problem um, is uh, a longstanding one, and it's Western alienation, um, which rises and falls depending on who's in office in Ottawa, but tends to really peak. When the liberals are in office and the conservatives are in office provincially and especially anyone named Trudeau. Um, And so they highlight what they see as his anti-energy policies around the carbon tax, around pipelines, uh, around uh, environmental impact assessments, and then they'll throw in uh, fertilizer emissions or gun rights. And so that is basically Trudeau is the problem and that this is the solution.
1: Well, Trudeau has being a dirty word in Alberta, going right back to uh, to Justin's father, of course, uh, especially when it comes to energy and a feeling that uh, oh, yeah. um, Alberta's uh, resources were basically uh, fueling the economy of the entire country. Um, well, and what
3: also happened uh, is Trudeau gets elected in 2015 rated the early days of a massive drop in the price of oil, which devastated the Alberta economy and led to large budget deficits and unemployment uh, in this province uh, for about seven years. But, uh, they, they 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 correspond and so the, uh, Trudeau gets often blamed for this even though it's the, the the drop in the price of oil. On the other hand, the price of oil has dramatically rebounded, unemployment has dropped substantially in this province and the government just posted a 13 billion dollar surplus with expectations of a similar surplus um, uh, next year so to say that these um anti-energy policies have destroyed have systematically destroyed the alberta economy as smith said in a tv address last week uh, it, i think there would be a lot of provinces that would love to have their economy destroyed so much to post a 13 billion dollar surplus
1: well, and that's right now and uh, of course we've seen the other side. is boom in and Boston. And it goes like oh, a year.
3: Absolutely. And we're we're in a boom period right now, but as I said from about the fall of 2014 up until about a year ago, we were in a bust period.
1: Right. When we take a look at this act uh, Dwayne, where are we going? What, uh, so is it going I... to is it going to become a reality or, you know, are we going to have it fall in the courts? Uh, if it passes
3: in, in in its current form, I think you're definitely going to see court action. I'm interested to see how the debate uh, process will fold well, will roll itself out um, in in the Alberta legislature because I I can imagine that cabinet ministers and MLAs are getting a lot of uh, worried phone calls uh, in emails when you have the Calgary Chamber of Commerce announce. You know, please amend this or withdraw it. You know, that's uh, because they said it will create investor chill. Mm -hmm. Um, Meanwhile, Travis Taves, who's the current finance minister, who is one of those leadership rivals um, saying that it would have led to investor chill, says he can support the bill now because it doesn't direct private businesses to violate federal law, which is what the form was back in, in August and September. But what it does do is it allows the provincial government to direct provincial entities to violate federal law. But it's a very long list of of provincial entities, crown corporations, agencies, schools, post-secondary institutions, uh, municipalities, uh, police services, uh, any group that receives a government grant, any group that is uh, regulated by the government of Alberta. I'm not sure who's left out on this, and so um that that again is is almost this rule by decree and and removing some of the oversight of government by the legislature and and the courts well it's so I, to... I don't know how tas can can flip flop like this
1: and it's going to make national uh, consensus a very, very difficult thing if it goes ahead. Um, Absolutely. Looking forward to uh, looking forward to seeing how this plays out uh, Dwayne Brat. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Okay, you're welcome. This is Bruce Claggett in for Mike. Well, the tributes continue to pour in. Yesterday, of course, the world of music lost an incredible voice. Songbird, Christine McVie, passed away unexpectedly, even amongst uh, some of her friends. She had gone into the hospital only a few days prior to that, uh, a short illness, and Fleetwood Max Christine McVie passes away. By the way, here's a bit of a mashup, taking a look at some of her greater works and some of her, uh, her comments over the years.
4: I don't like living out of a suitcase, but then I had a trunk made. <laughs> Christine McVie.
1: Singer-composer Christine
4: McVie. It is, of course, Christine McVie. I want to be with you everywhere. I want to
2: be with
1: you
4: If they're not on the road with you, then you never get to see them. And if they are on the road with you, you get to see too much of them. Feel being a sex symbol in rock and roll. I don't know, Stevie
2: Nicks. <laughs>
1: Seventy-nine years old, Christine McVie of Fleetwood Mac passing away yesterday. And those tributes continue to come in. Of course, Stevie Nicks, her longtime bandmate and friend, also uh, coming forward with a very heartfelt response. Let's talk with Eric Alper, music publicist and commentator. Eric, thanks so much for joining us this morning. No problem. Thank you for having me. Eric, uh, to say that she was a giant in music is probably putting it uh, rather mildly. Uh, her influence, uh, incredible. Her voice, incredible. And her talent, Absolutely amazing. Your thoughts as someone that looks at artists all the time, uh, Christine McVie. What's her role? What's her influence?
4: Yeah, I think she is absolutely one of the key sounds of the 1970s AM radio. You know, when people talk about their love of Fleetwood Mac, they're really talking about Christine McVie's songs. And even though that she's led a pretty, you know, low profile in Probably one of the biggest bands, you know, of the last 45 years it has to be right up there with Queen and the Beatles and other people, you know, at their peak. They were bigger than Justin Bieber. They were bigger than Drake and uh, uh, and the weekend because everybody knew those songs. Everybody had uh, seen them on the tours and those songs, especially Christine songs and a, a lot of them that you played um, in that in, at the top of the, the segment, uh, they're all connected to a memory that we all have, a moment that we all shared, friendships, breakups, relationships happening. Um, it's astonishing how much she wrote and still kept a pretty low profile, which is actually pretty easy to do when you're in a band with Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham and you don't want to get involved with their drama.
1: I guess it's the ultimate tribute to an artist when uh, you recognize the music above the story and or above stories, and that's hard to find really today because so many artists uh, live by their stories and their music is kind of uh, secondary to that. But uh, you're right, Uh, when we listen to just uh, the mashup there, uh, I am reminded, as you mentioned, of AM radio uh, growing up as a kid and uh, listening to uh, many of those songs on the radio just uh, kind of casually in the background, But it was almost a mood and a theme of wherever I was at the time. And that's kind of special, isn't it, Eric?
4: Yeah, especially, you know, during the 70s it, it, and even in the 80s, in the you know any time that it was pre-social media, we all knew about the drugs and the money and the fame and the sex that's involved with becoming a rock star. That was the ultimate goal, and we all looked to rock stars to say the things that we couldn't actually say ourselves, and they weren't omnipresent. You didn't know what was going on unless somebody had written about it in your local newspaper, and if you missed it, Well, then you just were out of touch and you just didn't know about it. But the bands simply express their thoughts that was going on in their own lives. And that's where the magic is being created. And that when they start releasing it, then 40,000 people start singing those songs back to them. But each one of them has a very specific meaning attached to, to themselves. And that's the genius of, of Christine McVie's songwriting, was she was able to take something so personal, like you make love and fun is about, you know, her, her relationship cheating on her husband, John McVee, with the lighting director of the band. So while they're on tour, she's singing this song with the man that she just split up with, John McVie, not even four feet away from her. But that stuff, is just the drama. The real part of the magic is how we feel when we're in our own relationship and feeling that love for the first time, feeling like you make love and fun. It's, it's, just, it's wonderful when that stuff happens. And the
1: interesting story there with uh, John McPhee and you make loving fun and uh, singing the song with uh, the broken up John <laughs> yeah. McPhee right there. And uh, yeah. apparently, I don't know if this is true, but uh, she apparently, story goes, told John, on that, uh, no, the story is about the dog.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know what? It, it, it's amazing that that sounds true. And it also sounds false at the same time because you just never know about it. But that was the whole... I, you know, part of their success obviously is the fact that they never really left. You know, they took some time off, and and like most, you know, classic rock bands, they took two or three years off. They haven't had a new album out in over a decade, but they've still managed to keep, you know, being on the road with or without Christine, with or without Lindsey Buckingham. As long as Mick Fleetwood is behind the drum kit, it's really his band and his decision to make. So it's going to be interesting to see what happened because i think the band is just going to still continue next year um because they've already got that so it's interesting that this is a band that has been able to survive and even thrive bigger than ever before um you know as big as rumors was and it's still big it's, it's like 45 million albums the second biggest in 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 all of uh, uh recorded music history um But right now, the greatest hits album is number one on music streaming services, and part of that is not the fact that we get to go back to the music after the person has passed away, but... Fifteen years ago, this would have been impossible. We would have had to go down to the record store, hope and pray that they have enough stock in there. And then if it sold out, you didn't see it for another couple of weeks or so. Now we hear about Christine McVie and immediately go to Spotify and spark up whatever song that you want to hear as many times as you want to hear it.
1: Very good point. Eric Helper, one of Canada's uh, best known and most talked about music publicists, talking about uh, Christine McVee of Fleetwood Mac and her passing yesterday. Uh, Eric, you know, uh, we talk about rumors and uh, just uh, how big an album it was, but uh, it's funny. My memories of that album uh, in the 70s was going over to friends' houses, and, uh, you know, you could almost see... In any record collection, that one album would always be in there. And it was, uh, even if you had friends that uh, kind of had different tastes and kind of veered off one way or the other, when it came to rumors, they had it.
4: Yeah, and it's one of those records that sold so many, but you never ever see in a secondhand record store. Nobody wants to ever give up this record. It's kind of like if you give it up, you're almost just throwing away those memories and those moments in the lives. It's funny because, you know, and so many people that I knew had rumors. Very, you know, almost half of them had Tusk, the album that followed. Um, and that's when you knew that you were a true fan, is when you bought the follow up album to that hugely successful one and it you know the music industry called it a bomb even though that it only sold like 12 million copies which and was interesting a lot because of it's that would give up their left arm for that many
1: copies Tosco is yeah absolutely still a great album but uh nothing i mean how do you follow up on rumors right
4: you do a mound of cocaine and you hope that the tax man never sees it
1: <laughs> true enough eric elber a pleasure to have you on talking about christy McVie. thanks so much for joining us
4: Thank you so much for having me. We'll talk soon.
1: And Bruce Claggett filling in for Mike. Uh, You know, it's uh, hard to believe that it's December already. And now, as uh, they say in the Claggett household, we can get the tree up anytime now. Couldn't go up before December 1st. That's one of the rules. But, uh, you know, now it's time that we can start to officially celebrate. Although I see many people already have a jump start on that. And Christmas lights in the neighborhood around where I live already up. And people fully into the Christmas and holiday spirit. But uh, the other part of it. For many of us, every time uh, or this time of year is the holiday watching. And uh, when it comes to those movies, uh, your choices uh, often are repeats. Ones that you see year in and year out because you just love the feel of uh, watching that Christmas movie. For me, it's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, I mean, the jokes never get old. Chevy Chase, just amazing in that. Uh, I see Corey, our producer, uh, loves The Grinch and uh, Jingle All the Way and Home Alone. I think he's talking about the original because I know Corey would not be talking about part two with that one. Well, we all have our favorites. Kurt Smakel is a movie critic and podcast host of Three Angry Nerds. Kurt, thanks so much for joining us this morning to talk about the Christmas catalog. And uh, I know you've got your own favorites, don't you, Kurt?
0: Oh, definitely, yeah. It's a great time of the year to catch up on some holiday flicks.
1: I see the number one on your list here. I don't know if it's uh, number one or just happens to be uh, the top of the list here. But Love Hard, what is that one? I'm not familiar.
0: I wouldn't say it's my number one, but it's definitely a a new holiday favorite. So uh, it's a Netflix movie. So it's very accessible for most people. And uh, yeah, it's basically about a woman who writes a dating column for a uh, online website. And uh, she goes thinking that she's going to meet this uh, guy that she's met through an online dating app, but ends up that uh, she gets catfished by the guy. Uh, ends up being somebody else and there's a bit of it's a bit of a rom com but it's also uh, takes place around the holidays and uh it's just a really funny kind of good time movie that a lot of people can enjoy.
1: You know, when you say a new one, uh that's one of the big things that I'm always looking for is a quality new movie, one that can stand up as much as some of the old favorites. And they're hard to find at times. Uh you know, the, the new offerings that uh aren't really I hate to say it but bad. Um, because there are some really bad ones out there, too? Yeah, for sure. I mean,
0: uh, it just goes with any year. I mean, there's always going to be good and bad movies, but I think we've had a stretch where, yeah, holiday movies weren't a huge priority for the movie studios and distributors. But, you know, every so often one kind of trickles through, and, you know, there's always uh, the few good ones that come through. And, yeah, Netflix is, you know, always producing content for better or for worse. They're always coming out with new stuff. But uh, in this case, it was a pretty good hit for them
1: the other one that's on your list and uh you know i i'm advised that this is not one for the kids um i've never seen it but i kind of know what it's about bad santa
0: yeah definitely it's uh it's definitely not for 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 young kids or even honestly most teenagers probably but uh it's a it's a pretty funny movie uh basically billy bob thornton plays a uh, santa uh, him along with his uh, cohort uh, who also plays his elf they go and rob uh, various malls throughout the country and uh, he starts to have a bit of a change of heart it's a very heartwarming story despite all the lewd and crude humor and uh, kind of gets to the real gist of what the holiday is i guess in a weird roundabout way
1: is that uh, probably one of your favorite uh, comedy type uh, christmas movies are there any real laughers for you besides that one
0: Oh, there's a few. You mentioned uh, Christmas Vacation. That's another good one, too. Uh, But I always kind of find that one's the one that, you know, I always put on because no matter who's watching it with me, almost everyone can kind of get into it where sometimes people are not always in the mood for, you know, some of the more, uh, I guess, traditional Christmas movies, something like Bad Santa's a little bit more accessible.
1: We'll get to some of our callers uh, just after the break uh, talking about your favorite movies for the holidays, Christmas movies, 604-280-9898. And you can give us a shout uh, with your favorite movie just before we go to the break, though. The other one, uh, a bit of a, a classic now, Canadian classic, Trailer Park Boys. They put out a Christmas special, didn't they?
0: Yeah, they did. Yeah. And, uh, it's funny because if you've never seen trailer park boys, it's a prequel to the series. So it kind of sets up a lot of the characters and stories that later you would see in the show. So even if you just watched the Christmas special on its own, it's a pretty standalone kind of uh, feature, but, uh, of course uh regardless if you've seen the show or not it's still a great time to watch and I, I always get a good chuckle out of watching it
1: always love hearing uh the charlie brown at this time of year uh some of the singing just incredible holds up uh year after year and uh you know when you hear that sound it's just amazing yes it is december and because it is december we're talking about holiday movies those christmas movies and uh some of your favorites Talking with Kurt Smakel. He's a movie critic and podcast host at Three Angry Nerds. Kurt, uh, we're also going to take some phone calls with some of our favorites from uh, listeners 604-280-9898. Tell us, what's your favorite movie this time of year? What do you look forward to and why? 280-9898. Let's take one of those calls right away. Richmond uh, and Carol. Carol, what's your uh, movie that you look forward to?
2: Well, I've always loved Christmas Story that came out November 2nd, 1982. And on November 2nd, 2022, they did a remake of it with Peter Billingsley as the father.
1: Uh. And it's on
2: Crave, and it's just it's a great movie. He has gathered all the old all the old players back into the
4: story it's good
1: yeah and the original i'm familiar with the original thanks carol um what a great movie the original uh the the second one i don't know as much uh kurt uh, are you a fan have you seen this
0: yeah, I've seen the new one as well. Uh, yeah, it basically kind of—it's more of a sequel, but it's you know takes takes place nearly forty years after the original, so there has been some time that passed. And yeah, it's uh, you know, if you like the original, I think it's a very nostalgic ride down through memory lane. There, uh, but both are great movies. Although I personally prefer the original myself.
1: You know, when you start to talk about some movies and uh, their remakes and the different versions of them, uh. It- one that comes to mind, of course, is uh, The Grinch That Stole Christmas. Many of those. Uh, Carol, what do you think? Are there any other movies that have been remade that you uh, you like? No, perhaps we've lost Carol there. Um, oh, but okay. uh, what, what about uh, you, Kurt? Uh, what about the remakes? Uh, are there ones that the remake is actually kind of better than the original?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a few. I I always think, too, like, there's the stories where you kind of get, like, the the Ebenezer Scrooge, and there's different ways they tell that. Disney's told that tale. There's the one with, um, what's his name? Uh, He was in Ghostbusters, uh, Bill Murray. So there's a few kind of uh, movies like that where they kind of, like, carry on the same kind of story and kind of play around with it a little bit. Uh, I think, uh, but yeah, probably Scrooged, yeah, the one with uh, Bill Murray. That's probably one of my favourite of the Christmas remakes.
1: Anything for me with Bill Murray in it is uh, an absolute treat. Uh, he's got such an expanse as uh, as an actor in doing anything from serious roles to something that uh, works as a comedy over the holidays. Uh, John in Kelowna, what about you? Uh, favourite holiday movie, John? Yeah, Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Oh, I guess that would qualify, wouldn't it? Uh, that did take uh, place over the holidays. Uh, the trek back to uh, to make it home in time. A classic. Uh, Kurt, uh, was that on your list? Uh, not for Christmas.
0: I think the, in the movie it takes place over American Thanksgiving, so very close, but uh, I don't think, I don't know if I would classify it as a Christmas movie, but it's still a great movie.
1: Oh, I guess so. I knew it was coming home for one of the holidays. John, I'll still give that one to you, but uh, it is a classic. Uh, i got to ask you, uh, John, because it is a holiday movie. I mean, American Thanksgiving uh, kind of uh, rolls right into the Christmas time. Uh, John, favorite scene in the movie? and. Look on John
4: Candy's face.
1: The look on John Candy's smile. face?
4: At the very end, she he they all get back to uh the house.
2: Uh he meets the wife and she thanks him and the look it was a classic John Candy. You're welcome. I you know, thank you for having me here. All all in one look. Perfect look.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know the look you're talking about and uh, a nice warm feeling. One of the funniest things I've ever seen in any movie was uh, in Planes, Trains and Automobiles. And for me, that was uh, the scene, you're going the wrong way. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you remember that one, Kurt? That was, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. That was and John? Yeah. Yeah yeah it's uh driving down the road and uh you know just the wave out the window to the drivers going the opposite direction you uh, know being so friendly trying to uh greet you yeah john uh and clona thanks so much uh for that one that's a good memory. Let's go to uh Camloops and barbara uh what's your favorite movie this time of year barbara um the
0: original Scrooge with alastairlim the Alastair sims um, and not the colorized version. The yeah, the black, black and white. And white.
1: What's yeah. that? The black and yeah. white original.
0: Yeah, my mom reading it so such a favorite when I was a kid. My mom would read a little bit of the story every night before Christmas. So and um, so then the movie came on. Alistair Sims is the best. All the rest of them, they. It's like
1: Sean Connery in 007. You know, it's interesting, Barbara, when you have such a strong movie like that, uh, you can make the remakes one after another because the original was such a masterpiece, I think. Um, A dark movie in many ways uh, for me, but uh, certainly an interesting Christmas one. Thanks, Barbara. Appreciate that. Uh, What do you think, Kurt? Uh, Does that still uh, appeal to you now in 2022?
0: Yes, uh, I actually saw the uh, original uh, Scrooge with Alex or Sim uh, last year, actually. It was a, it was a great movie. I, I personally still kind of prefer the Bill Murray one, but, uh, I mean, they're, they're both great movies. I, ideally, you would watch both of them over the holiday season if you have the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, my memory of it, uh, and I've seen it a couple times. Uh, it was uh, a very serious, uh, in many ways, uh, movie, but... Um Yeah, it uh, certainly is a masterpiece at that. Uh, Looking back at some of the old-time movies, the ones that uh, were around when you were even a kid, what stands out for you, Kurt?
0: I think uh, for me, it's always those uh, older kind of uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and you have also got... uh, see the snowman kind of the original ones. I know there's different versions of it, but uh, you know I go back and rewatch those ones because those are always fun to watch, even if uh, you know some of them have aged uh, quite a bit they're still they're still fun to watch.
1: I think so, and for me that certainly is the case uh the animated ones uh certainly and you know I'm even surprised now when I see the Grinch that stole Christmas. how good that is. Or must have been that was that came out before I was born the original version of that, and uh, it still holds up today, just an amazing movie uh I, I mean the animation is not great, but for some reason, the storytelling. In some of these, uh, Frosty the Snowman, another great one, and some of the uh, the great voices, the actors involved in that, uh, really make the uh, make the movie. Um, you talked a little bit, Kurt, about streaming services, and uh, of course, Netflix is one. But do you anticipate uh, some of the other streaming services to go heavier and almost replicate what uh, Netflix has been doing over the holidays?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, they're all kind of starting to put out some holiday content now. I know Crave just put out that new Christmas Story uh, sequel, and then you've also got uh, Disney+. Plus. They did a Marvel uh, tie-in, like it was a Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. So they're all kind of trying to put out content to kind of compete with each other to get people's attention around this time of the year. And of course... You know, with all these streaming services, it's all the tags and stuff so they can have those big sections when you log in that say, hey, here's our holiday collection and all that. So, yeah, definitely, uh, regardless of which one you go with, there's going to be a lot of content to watch.
1: You know, uh, the holidays are also a time, uh, just before you go, just to briefly touch on this. Some of the big blockbusters are released over the holidays. Um, Not Christmas movies we're talking about, but uh, since we have you and your expertise in here, Kurt, uh, any blockbusters we're looking forward to now?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, Top Gun Maverick just hit Blu-ray a few weeks ago, so that I've been rewatching that, and it's going to be hitting Paramount Plus December twenty second. So, if you'd rather stream it rather than own the physical copy, uh, that's probably my favorite movie of the year. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, we've got uh, the Avatar movie that's coming out in a couple of weeks here. That's going to be a big one. James Cameron is always kind of the director that you don't want to sleep on. He makes movies that will easily clear out the box office, uh, and he won't have much competition. So, yeah, there's definitely quite a bit of movies, regardless of whether you want to see some in theaters or see some at home. Definitely some movies are coming on the horizon there.
1: Kurt Smakel, a pleasure to have you on talking about uh, movies and the holidays. Thank you for having me.